So, Squirrel will say something about it. Yeah, him, sure. he will. He will. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel the Host, coming to you live from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It's good to have you with us here this morning. It is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. My last live show for a couple of weeks as I'm getting ready to head down to Arkansas for early church history with Dr. James White. So looking forward to that. Squirrel Chatter is a podcast that's dedicated primarily to the public reading of scriptures and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. Today is Friday, so it's Federalist Friday. So we're going to be looking at Federalist number seven. And something occurred to me this morning. Why is number abbreviated N-O period? There are no O's in the word number. In U period makes sense. In R period makes sense. In B period makes sense. In O period makes no sense. Yet, that is the proper abbreviation. Contemplate that on this Friday morning. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. And we are reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible Translation. We are finishing up week 38 today. So the time is ticking down. We're getting closer and closer to the end of the year, closer and closer to finishing our read-through of the Bible. Um, I've been enjoying it. I hope you have. Um, like I said, we're not going to do a full read-through of the Bible next year. Um, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> I haven't finalized what that's going to be, but something else. Yes, I am using an O Come Let Us Adore Him mug this morning, mainly because it's my favorite mug to drink tea out of. I use it year-round. It's not just for Christmas anymore. All right. Um, like I said, our, sec our uh, scripture reading today is going to be 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 and 2 Corinthians 6. Let us begin, as we always do, with the prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer, 1552. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, 
that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And now Second Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned thirty-one years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, and walked in the ways of his father David, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the graven images, and the molten images. And they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars that were on high places. He cut them in pieces. Also the ashram, the graven images, and the molten images he broke in pieces and ground to powder, powder, scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Nephtali, in their surrounding ruins, he also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the graven images into powder and cut in pieces all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shephan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasiah, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of Yahweh his God. And they came to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of Yahweh. And those who did the work who were doing this in the house of Yahweh used it to restore and repair the house. They, in turn, gave it to the craftsmen and to the builders to buy hewn stone and timber for clamps and to make beams for the houses which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully with foremen over them to direct. Jehath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari, Zechariah and Mishalam, the sons of the Kohathites, and the Levites, all who were skillful with musical instruments. They were also over those who carried loads and directed all those who did the work from service to service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. When they were taking out the money which had been brought into the house of Yahweh, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of Yahweh given by the hand of Moses. So Hilkiah answered and said to Shephan the scribe, I have found a book of the law, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shephan. Then Shephan brought the book to the king and furthermore responded to the king with a word, saying, Everything that was given to the hand of your servant they are doing. They have also poured out the money that was found in the house of Yahweh and have given it to the hand of the supervisors and those who did the work. Moreover, Shephan the scribe told the king, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book, and Shephan read from it in the presence of the king. Now it happened that when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim the son of Shephan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shephan the scribe, and 
Asaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of Yahweh for me and those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh which is poured out against us, because our fathers have not kept the word of Yahweh to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of Tokoth, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her regarding this. And she said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Say to the man who sent you to me, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent, to sent you to inquire of Yahweh, thus you shall say to them, say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was soft, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes, and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares Yahweh. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of Yahweh and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people from the greatest to the least. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of Yahweh. Then the king stood in his place and cut a covenant before Yahweh to walk after Yahweh and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to do the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve Yahweh their God. Throughout his lifetime they did not turn away from following Yahweh, the God of their fathers. Chapter 35 Then Josiah celebrated the Passover to Yahweh in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover animals on the fourteenth day of the first month. And he caused the priests to stand in their responsibilities and strengthen them in the service of the house of Yahweh. He also said to the Levites who provided understanding to all Israel and who were holy to Yahweh, Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David king of Israel built. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now serve Yahweh your God and his people Israel. So prepare yourselves by your father's households in your divisions according to the writing of David king of Israel and according to the writing of his son Solomon. Moreover, Stand in the holy place according to the sections of the fathers' households of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the Levites, by division of a father's household. Now slaughter the Passover animals. Sanctify yourselves and prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. 
And Josiah contributed to the lay people, to all who were present, flocks of lambs and young goats, all for the Passover offerings, numbering 30,000 plus 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. His officials also contributed a freewill offering to the people, the priests and the Levites, Hilkiah and Zechariah and Jehiel, the officers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offering 2,600 from the flocks and 300 bulls. Conaniah also and Shemaiah and Nathaniel his brothers and Hashabiah and Jehiel and Josabad, the officials of the Levites, contributed to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 from the flocks and 500 bulls. So the service was prepared, and the priests stood at their stations, and the Levites by their divisions, according to the king's commandment, and they slaughtered the Passover animals. And while the priests splashed the blood received from their hand, the Levites skinned them. Then they took away the portions for the burnt offerings that they might give them to the sections of the fathers' households of the lay people to bring near to Yahweh, as it is written in the book of Moses. They did this also with the bulls. So they roasted the Passover animals on the fire according to the legal judgment, and they boiled the holy things in pots, in kettles, in pans, and carried them speedily to all the lay people. Afterwards they prepared for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings in the fat until night. Therefore the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were also at their stations according to the commandment of David, Asaph, Haman, and Jaduthan, the king's seer. And the gatekeepers at each gate did not have to turn aside from their service, because the Levites, their brothers, prepared for them. So all the service of Yahweh was prepared on that day to celebrate the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of Yahweh according to the commandment of King Josiah. Thus the sons of Israel who were present celebrated the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. And there had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, nor had any king of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah celebrated with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of Josiah's reign, the Passover was celebrated. After all this, when Josiah had set the house in order, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house with which I am at war, and God has said for me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me, so that he will not bring you to ruin. However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to make war on the plain of Megiddo. Then the archers shot King Josiah, and the king told his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and drove him in the second chariot which he had and brought him to Jerusalem where he died. And he was buried in the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah. And all the male and female singers speak about Josiah in their lamentations to this day. 
And they made them a statute in Israel. Behold, they are also written in the Lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his deeds of loving kindness, according to what was written in the law of Yahweh, and his acts, first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And now Second Corinthians chapter 6. I don't know if you heard that thump, but the squirrel just came out of the tree and landed on the roof above my head. That means he's waiting on the porch for his nuts. So I will take them to him in just a few minutes when we're done here. He doesn't listen to squirrel chatter. If he did, he would know the schedule. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And working together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as ministers of God, in much perseverance, in afflictions, in distresses, in hardships, in beatings, in imprisonments, in disturbances, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in unhypocritical love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarding as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and yet behold we live, as punished and yet not put to death, as sorrowful but always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained by your own afflictions. Now is a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has a sanctuary of God with idols? For we are a sanctuary of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the Collect for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, 
Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Hmm. Sorry, needed a nice deep sip of tea there. Why am I drinking tea this morning, you may be asking. The fact is, I need to grind coffee, and I was too lazy last night to do it and didn't have time this morning. So boiling water and making a cup of tea was the way to get my caffeine. And I like tea once in a while. Our topic today is Federalist Friday, and we are reading through the Federalist Papers. And this is Federalist Number 7, another Federalist paper written by Alexander Hamilton, the title of which is The Same Subject Continued Concerning Dangers from Dissensions Between the States. Remember, all of these Federalist Papers are arguments for why the infant United States should adopt this new constitution that had been written in 1787. These are arguments for ratification, for why we need the central government that is proposed in the constitution. So again, this is the same subject continued concerning dangers from dissensions between the states for the independent journal to the people of the state of New York, it is sometimes asked, with an air of seeming triumph, what inducements could the states have if disunited to make war upon each other? It would be a full answer to this question to say precisely the same inducements which have, at different times, deluged in blood all the nations of the world. But, unfortunately for us, the question admits to a more particular answer. There are causes of differences within our immediate contemplation, of the tendency of which, even under the restraints of a federal constitution, we have had sufficient experience to enable us to form a judgment of what might be expected if those restraints were removed. Territorial disputes have, all, have at all times been found one of the most fertile sources of hostility among nations. Perhaps the greatest proportion of wars that have desolated the earth have sprung from this origin. This cause would give among us in, would exist among us in full force. We have a vast tract of unsettled territory within the boundaries of the United States. There still are discordant and undecided claims between several of them, and the dissolution of the Union would lay a foundation for similar claims between them all. It is well known that they have heretofore had serious and animated discussions concerning the rights to the lands which were ungranted at the time of the Revolution, and which usually went under the name of Crown Lands. The states within the limits of, the, of whose colonial governments they were compromised have claimed them as their property, and others have contended that the rights of the Crown in this article devolved upon the Union, especially as to all that part of the Western Territory which, either by actual possession or through the submission of the Indian proprietors, was subjected to the jurisdiction of the King of Great Britain, till it was relinquished in the Treaty of Peace. This, it has been said, was at all events an acquisition to the Confederacy by compact with a foreign power. It has been the prudent policy of Congress to appease this controversy by prevailing upon the states to make secession. 
to make cessions to the United States for the benefit of the whole. This has been so far accomplished as, under a continuation of the Union, to afford a decided prospect of an amicable termination of the dispute. A dismemberment of the Confederacy, however, would revive this dispute and would create others on the same subject. At present, a large part of the Vatican West of the vacant Western territory, Vatican has nothing to do with this. At present, a large part of the vacant Western territory is, by session at least, if not any anterior right, the common property of the Union. If that were at an end, the states would, which made the session on a principle of federal compromise, would be apt when the motive for of the grant had been had ceased to reclaim the lands as a reversion. The other states would no doubt insist on a proportion by right of representation. Their argument would be that a grant once made cannot be revoked, and that the justice of participating in territory acquired or secured by the joint efforts of the Confederacy remained undiminished. If contrary to probability, it should be admitted by all the states that each had the right to a share of this common stock. There would, still be a there would still be a difficulty to be surmounted as to a proper rule of the apportionment. Different principles would be set up by different states for this purpose, and as they would affect the opposite interests of the parties, they might not easily be susceptible to a pacific adjustment. In the wide field of Western territory, therefore, we perceive an ample theater for hostile pretensions. Without an, any umpire or common judge, to interpose between the contending parties. To reason from the past to the future, we shall have good ground to apprehend that the sword would sometimes be appealed to as the arbiter of their differences. The circumstances of the dispute between Connecticut and Pennsylvania respecting the land of, at Wyoming admonish us not to be sanguine in expecting an easy accommodation of such differences. The Articles of Confederation oblige the parties to submit the matter to the decision of a federal court. The submission was made, and the court decided in favor of Pennsylvania. But Connecticut also gave strong indications of dissatisfaction with that determination, nor did she appear to be entirely resigned to it, till, by negotiation and management, something like an equivalent was found for the loss she supposed herself to have sustained. Nothing here said is intended to convey the slightest censure on the conduct of that state. She no doubt sincerely believed herself to have been injured by the decision, and states, like individuals, acquiesce with great reluctance in determinations to their disadvantage. Those who had an opportunity of seeing the inside of the transactions which attended the progress of the controversy between this state and the District of Vermont can vouch the opposition we, exp we experienced, as well from states not interested as from those which were interested in the claim, and can attest the danger to which the peace of the Confederacy might have been exposed, had this state attempted to assert its rights by force. Two motives preponderated in this opposition. One, a jealously, jealously entertained of our, a jealously entertained of our future power, and the other, the interest of certain individuals of influence in the neighboring states, who had obtained grants of land under the actual government of that district. 
Even the states which brought forward claims in contradiction to ours seemed more solicitous to, solicitous to members of this state than to establish their own pretensions. These were New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. New Jersey and Rhode Island, upon all occasions, discovered a warm zeal for the independence of Vermont, and Maryland, till alarmed by the appearance of a connection between Canada and that state, entered deeply into the same views. These being small states, saw with an unfriendly eye the perspective of our growing greatness. In a review these transactions, we may trace some of the causes which would be likely to embroil the states with each other, if it should be their unpropitious destiny to become disunited. The competitions of commerce would be another fruitful source of contention. The states less fervently circumstanced would be desirous of escaping from the disadvantages of local situation and of sharing in the advantages of their more fortunate neighbors. Each state or separate confederacy would pursue a system of commercial policy particular to itself. This would occasion distinctions, preferences, and exclusions, which would beget discontent, the habit of intercourse on the basis of equal privileges to which we have been accustomed since the earliest segment of this country would give a keener edge to those causes of discontent than they would naturally have independent of this circumstance. We should be ready to dominate injury, to denominate injuries those things which were in reality justifiable acts of independent sovereignties consulting a distinct interest. The spirit of enterprise, which characterizes the commercial part of America, has left no occasion of displaying itself unimproved. It is not at all probable that this unbridled spirit would pay much respect to those regulations of trade by which particular states might endeavor to secure exclusions, benefits to their own citizens. The infractions of these regulations on one side, the efforts to prevent and repel them on the other, would naturally lead to outrages, and these to reprisals and wars. The opportunities which some states would have of rendering others, of rendering others tributary to them by commercial regulations would be impatiently submitted to would be impatiently submitted to by the tributary states. The relative situation of New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey would afford an example of this kind. New York, from the necessity of revenue, must lay duties on her importations. A great part of these duties must be paid by the inhabitants of the two other states in the capacity of consumers of what we import. New York would neither be willing nor able to forego this advantage. Her citizens would not consent to a duty paid by them should would not consent that a duty paid by them should be remitted in favor of the citizens of her neighbors, nor would it be practicable if there were not this impediment in the way to distinguish the cons the customers in our own markets. Would Connecticut and New Jersey long submit to be taxed by New York for her exclusive benefit? Should we be long permitted to remain in the quiet and undisturbed enjoyment of a metropolis from the possession of which we derive an advantage so odious to our neighbors and, in their opinion, so oppressive? Should we be able to preserve it against the incumbent weight of Connecticut on the one side and the cooperating pressure of New Jersey on the other? These are questions that temerity alone will answer in the affirmative. 
The public debt of the Union would be a further cause of collusion between the separate states or confederacies. The apportionment in the first instance and the progressivist extinguishment afterward would be alike productive of ill humor and animosity. How would it be possible to agree upon a rule of apportionment satisfactorily to all? There is scarcely any that can be proposed which is entirely free from real objections. These, as usual, would be exaggerated by the adverse interests of the parties. There are even dissimilar views among the states as to the general principle of discharging the public debt. Some of them, either less impressed by their importance of national credit or because their citizens have little, if any, immediate interest in the question, feel an indifference, if not a repugnance, to the payment of the domestic debt at any rate. These would be inclined to magnify the difficulties of a distribution. Others of them, a numerous body of whose citizens are creditors to the public beyond proportion of the state in the total amount of the national debt, would be strenuous for some equitable and effective provision. The procrastinations of the former would excite the resentments of the latter. The settlement of a rule would, in the meantime, be postponed by real differences of opinion and affected delays. The citizens of the states interested would clamor, foreign powers would urge for the satisfaction of their just demands, and the peace of the states would be hazarded to the double contingency of external invasion and internal contention. Suppose the difficulties of agreeing upon a rule surmounted and the apportionment made. Still, there is great room to suppose that the rule agreed upon would, upon experiment, be found to bear harder upon some states than upon others. Those which were sufferers by it would naturally seek for a mitigation of the burden. The, other were, the others would, as naturally, be disinclined to a revision, which was likely to end in an increase of their own encumbrances. Their, refru- their refusal would be too plausible a pretext to the complaining states to withhold their contributions, not to be embraced with avidity, and the non-compliance of these states with their engagements would be a ground of bitter discussion and altercation. If even the rule adopted should in practice justify the equality of its principles, still, delinquencies in payments on the part of some of the states would result from a diversity of other causes, the real deficiency of resources, the mismanagement of their finances, accidental disorders in the management of the government, and, in addition to the rest, the reluctance with which men commonly part with money for purposes that have outlived the exigencies which produce them and interfere with the supply of immediate wants. Delinquencies, from whatever cause, would be productive of complaints, recriminations, and quarrels. There is perhaps nothing more likely to disturb the tranquility of nations than that their being bound to mutual contributions for any common object that does not yield an equal and coincident benefit. For it is an observation, as true as it is trite, that there is nothing men differ so readily about as the payment of money. Laws in violation of private contracts, as they amount to aggressions on the rights of those states whose citizens are injured by them, may be considered as another probable source of hostilities. We are not authorized to expect that a more liberal or more equitable spirit would preside over the legislations of the individual states hereafter, if unrestrained by any additional checks. 
than we have heretofore seen too many instances disgracing their several codes. We have observed the disposition to retaliation excited in Connecticut in consequence to the enormities perpetuated by the legislature of Rhode Island, and we have reason and we reasonably infer that in similar cases, under other circumstances, a war not of parchment but of sword would chastise such atrocious breaches of moral obligation and social justice. The probability of incompatible alliances between the different states or confederacies and different foreign nations and the effects of this situation upon the peace of the whole have been sufficiently unfolded in some preceding papers. From the view they have exhibited of this part of the subject, this conclusion is to be drawn that America, if not connected at all, or only by the feeble tie of a simple league, offensive and defensive, would, by the operation of such jarring alliances, be gradually entangled in all the pernicious labyrinths of European politics and wars, and by the destructive contentions of the parts into which she is divided, would be likely to become a prey to the artifices and machinations of powers equally the enemies of them all. Divide et emperor must be the motto of every nation that either hates us or fears us. Publius. Basically, they were saying we are better united than divided. All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for Friday, the 23rd of September. I hope you have a great day today. I hope you have a great weekend. Remember to go to church on Sunday. Do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. The next two weeks are going to be pre-recorded because I'm out of town. Um, they're just going to be Bible reading. I'm not doing any... Uh, Theology Thursday or Federalist Friday or anything. It's just going to be the Bible readings for the next two weeks. They're pre-recorded audio only. So uh, go to uh, search Squirrel Chatter in your favorite podcatcher, and you'll be able to find the audio. But there will be no video. So if you're if you're uh, one of the uh, many, it's like there are forty or fifty of you that watch the live stream every day on on all the platforms. If uh, you are one of the video watchers, you'll have to just content yourself with the audio for the next two weeks. Would you make sure you subscribe to Squirrel Chatter wherever you get your podcasts? Leave us a five-star rating and a short review. It'd be greatly appreciated. All right, have a great weekend. Go to church. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you here Monday, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.